We're here today to discuss thalamic gating. Now, if you haven't heard of it before, don't worry. It's a concept in neuroscience that will help you understand chronic pain, why you get distracted, and how to be patient. I'm Sharif Yunus with Dr. Kevin Majors. This is The Golden Hour. Welcome to our episode for September 7th. I'm Sharif Yunus here with Dr. Kevin Majors. Hello. And it's it's Labor Day, Day, so we trust that everyone is going to be hard at work. Exactly, as it should be. And what do we want to talk? Well, we wanted to talk about... Today, I want to talk about something. You want to talk about... Got it. I want to talk about thalamic gating. If anyone knows what that is, raise your hand. Exactly. (laughs) Thalamic gating is how to understand why certain sensations keep jumping out at you and why you keep noticing things that bother you. So I think understanding thalamic gating is actually very important to understanding how mindfulness works. Okay, so you said, okay, so run that back. So it's important to understanding why certain sensations jump out at you? Yes. Like what what kind of scent? What are we talking about? Like So what we're talking about here is okay. Take uh, f- uh, let me just say that in this um, studio, I didn't tell you Shreve before we we started filming, but the last I was just interviewing a family and they all had lice. And you, there's like lice everywhere jumping off them. Okay. Um, and you so could there's, see it? there's yeah, it was really bad. <laughs> so there's probably a lot of lice here. Um, and usually, just when you start hearing about lice or ants crawling around yeah. or things, don't you start to feel things in your hair? It starts to itch a bit. I I mean I personally don't, but I could imagine that someone might. Man, they do. <laughs> I do. So even just talking about lice, I've never I never had lice before, so I, I haven't either. Know, like, but but I, I, I just the sense like of that there could be something crawling on you. Uh, so usually just hearing about these things, you actually start to feel them. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I kind of feel like a spider on my back. Okay, close enough. <laughs> the the what what happens when people get on the alert for different sensations is that they start detecting noise, neural noise, as signal. And they start feeling signals coming when there really isn't a signal coming. And this has to do with understanding how your thalamus works. Now, this might sound like, like these are trivial examples, but this is what drives chronic pain and essentially all psychosomatic pain disorders. Psychosomatic means you're, it's just in your head? It's not just in your head, actually, because okay. there are, there are feedback mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, when people have, um, say, uh, lower back pain, well, the, very, uh, you know, the more that they're kind of struggling against the pain yeah. and really intensely disliking it, the more they notice it. Okay, I have terrible lower back. So this is actually super helpful for Good. me right now. And if, uh, so the more unwilling people are to experience that pain, the more they constantly notice it. Yeah. But that even causes a kind of paradoxic tightening of these involuntary muscles in their lower back, which worsens the pain. It's kind of like a hiccup. 
So when people have a hiccup, if you try to suppress the hiccup, well, what is a hiccup? It's a spasm of the diaphragm, the big muscle underneath your lungs, super important for breathing. And it starts spasming. But if you try to suppress hiccups with a rigid effort, you're essentially adding tension to the system and hiccups get worse. So the best cure for hiccups is called paradoxic intention. You try to be open to hiccuping louder and more frequently. Now that openness and willingness relaxes your diaphragm and the spasm goes away. So this, this can happen even if you were in a theater and you have a hiccup and you don't want everyone to be disturbed. Uh -huh. Open up and just let it happen more frequently and louder and that actually stops the hiccup. So you try to hiccup as loudly as possible. We're well, not really trying to like make it happen. Uh -huh. You're opening to it okay. happening. Got it. So you're just like letting it happen. Okay. So, so how does that's this an important kind of dynamic. The more you let these things happen, the more these involuntary muscles actually relax and that can actually make things better. Hmm. So I first understood how mindfulness works with regard to emotional pain and reading the book The Mindful Way Through Depression. So it's a, it's a classic book. Who wrote it? So it was actually written by um, a, a team of four people. The main author is Zendel Siegel um, and John Williams. Okay. Uh, John Kabat-Zinn was also a part of it. And I'm going to forget the fourth guy. So, sorry, fourth guy. <laughs> so, uh, um, the, uh, so, there they talk about emotional pain as almost like it's just a species of chronic pain. Hmm. And they go through talking essentially about the thalamus. Okay, let's Let's talk about the thalamus and this idea of thalamic gaining. Okay. So where, what's the thalamus? It's a part of your brain? Yeah. Where is it? It's, um, it's, in the, it's right in the middle, uh -huh. and it controls the signals of everything going from everything you sense. So all sensory information. Mm -hmm. Goes through it. Goes through, into it, okay. and then passes from there to your sensory cortex. So for you, it essentially controls the bandwidth of every signal going into your sensory cortex. Okay. So there's millions of signals that are reaching you and your thalamus all the time. You're only aware of a very tiny fraction of them. Mm -hmm. So if there is a signal that it thinks you need to know, so if a large centipede started crawling up your leg right now, you would immediately notice it. Yep. That's not, that's like a built-in thing that, uh, that your thalamus would alert you to. Uh -huh. So if it thinks you're unwilling to experience something, it will open up wide so you so that it, you get a huge signal going to your right. attention. To your you, there's the snakes in the grass thing. Snakes in the grass is is slightly different because okay. that's the one example. So if you're if you're walking and in tall grass and there's a slithering motion, you will jump involuntarily away from the slithering. Uh -huh before you are even aware that you saw a slithering motion. So the, the and that's, an, that's a, it's one of the only reflexes that human adults have, huh. but it's to jump from slithering. <laughs> so, uh, but there it's like, as you're in the air jumping, I know some of this happened to, they, uh, as you're in the air, you actually are then become aware that you notice the slithering. Hmm. Um, so, uh, there, it doesn't even reach your consciousness. But in, in, in this case, we're talking about something that 
reaches your consciousness has to go through the thalamus. So uh, you don't wear glasses, but you, know, you are wearing clothes. You're wearing, you're wearing an Apple Watch. Okay. Uh, before I mentioned it, how aware were you of the sensation of the Apple Watch on your hand? Not very. Yeah, exactly. But so, now I feel exactly how it is on my Exactly. Yeah. I could ask you, how aware are you of the temperature of the air behind your left ear? Now I'm a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to really feel it. But yeah. You could probably, though, compare the temperature between the left ear and the and right, right ear. ear. Right in the back. Okay. So there are all these signals waiting for you to mm -hmm. tune in. So the sensation of the socks and shoes on our feet. Mm -hmm. So when people have been raised without shoes or socks, uh, and they had to first put them on to go to the British great. school that's just been set up in their <laughs> in their colonial town, uh, the uh, it was it was agony for them at first, and they're thinking, huh. how could I go to school and pay attention to the classes when all I can think about is this constriction on my feet? That, yeah. you know, but then after you know, well, after you know, a week they wouldn't notice. So what would be the worst advice to give that young student wearing socks and shoes for the first time and having a hard time dealing with it? Um, take them off every, they, or just take them off every couple hours. Exactly. Say, let's just do this bit by bit. Yeah. Just take them off and you know, gradually we'll help you get used to them. Yeah. No. It's, you end up just heightening their awareness of mm. the discomfort of that signal. Whereas if, if you just keep them on. Yeah. Very soon you don't notice. Hmm. And then there's all these other things going on for you to notice, and your thalamus opens up the bandwidth of those channels bigger, and it ends up closing the, the signal for that, even though it is seen to be registered as an uncomfortable sensation. Mm -hmm. But then gradually it's not uncomfortable at all. So in a way, that's, um, you know, this is just talking about like the automated, you know, signal strength, you know, like setting by your thalamus. Yeah. Well, when you're doing, you know, when you're experiencing things involuntarily, it's mostly using these fibers going from the thalamus to your cortex. So it's called a thalamocortical projection. But there is the reverse, a corticothalamic projection. And what that is, is what I had you activate when you reach into the thalamus and deliberately tune into a sensation. Uh -huh. So I can say if you're... You know, deliberately now tune into the sensations underneath your feet. Got it. And you can feel it. You can mm -hmm. feel the ground, the amount of gravity, the kind of forces that are there. So that is using a top-down unlocking mm -hmm. of that pathway. Reaching into the thalamus for yes. the signal. Okay. So that idea is the key to understanding chronic pain, whether it's emotional or mechanical, physical. Okay. If your thalamus is holding open a pain channel, you need to deliberately feel that signal mm -hmm. for it to know, in a sense, that you're willing to feel it and not do anything about it. If you keep tuning into the signal and doing nothing to fix it, then eventually, when you stop tuning into it deliberately, it just lets it shut. So the first studies of this were done in the 90s. Um, when they were having people with chronic pain, intractable lower back pain, mm -hmm. and other types of, I think it was a lot of spinal pain, and the exercise was open up to feel the pain as fully as you can for a half hour a day. 
Now, these were people whose lives were dominated by the experience of pain. Yeah. And it seems very counterintuitive to to say, okay, now I'm going to, you know, just be feeling the pain and nothing else. Well, but the thing is, they had actually been wishing to escape the pain. Mm -hmm. They were in a state of thwarted escape with regard to the signal. And so they kept on labeling it essentially as something that's important to know about. Mm -hmm. Here, what they were doing was tuning in and doing nothing. And so that retrained their thalamus. So they found very quickly that in the days they did, they do it in the morning typically, they would tend to not notice the pain, at least not nearly as much, for the rest of the day. And even reported pain scores would go down. Hmm. This has been replicated a lot. So being mindful of pain deliberately, reaching into your thalamus, opening up that that, uh, bandwidth and, and just holding it open deliberately, ends up letting it then just close when you're doing other things. So it kind of restores flexibility to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same with the emotional pain. If you feel grief over the passing of a loved one. That goes through your thalamus too. Everything. It's not just bodily. Yep. Okay. Every, all sensation goes through your thalamus, okay. including purely internal ones. So if you had you know death of someone you love very much, mm-hmm. it's just going to hurt. The more you resist the pain and wish you could problem solve it, you end up in a state of thwarted escape. Mm-hmm. You just can't get away from it. And as a result, you hold the channel wide open, and it can be very distracting. You, so when it comes to grief, when it comes to any kind of sadness, or, of course, anxiety and all these other sensations too, opening up to it, letting yourself feel it, doing nothing to fix it, you know, just kind of being there, almost you could say savoring it, mm-hmm. just letting yourself experience it fully, then later your mind does get off it. And that's what normal, healthy grieving looks like. People let themselves feel their emotions. People who can't accept discomfort, who can't let themselves feel a negative emotion, end up with what's called complicated bereavement. So that they don't process it well. And they end up just engaging in avoidance. Mm-hmm. And so they try to avoid anything that could trigger the pain. So they're, you know, Right. And that's a different story. They remove all images of their loved ones. And, wow. you know, it's, it's nice having images of loved ones who have died around because it, it allows you to, in a sense, work through the pain. And you enter into a new stage. So the thalamus can be retrained. Just deliberately tuning into the thing that bothers you and doing nothing to fix it starts to let you a new freedom of just not noticing mm-hmm. that. It may still be there. It may be that you've done nothing. But it's better. Uh, recent studies have been done looking to see, does the mindfulness effect on pain, because it's very m- proven, does that um, go through your internal op- your endogenous opioid system? And, what does that mean? Well, the endogenous opioid system is actually used in, like, if hypnosis is used to treat pain, it uses an internal opioid system to actually release opioids in your brain and cause pain blockage. Hmm. So you don't feel it, just like taking a narcotic. Okay. Uh, placebos actually work through your endogenous opioid system, and which is cool that you can give opioid blockers that stop those things from being able to work. Mindfulness does not use that system at all. So it's completely independent of your own internal opioid system. Now, we're still in the midst of an opioid pandemic, 
It's important that people know that mindfulness actually is a better solution than for, narcotics. For pain. For pain. So, But then the, you have to feel it. You have to be willing to feel it. So it turns out that it's not the pain itself that's the problem. It's the unwillingness to feel it that's the problem. And that's what turns it into suffering. So this is a very ancient text you know, from, okay. from the Who's East it? called the arrow. <laughs> you know, but uh, there's actually two arrows. The first arrow is the pain itself. That's not the problem. The second arrow that hits you is your unwillingness to feel mm. it. And that's what really causes suffering. So if you have, you know, so for instance, if you went exercising and then your muscles are sore afterwards and you think that's a good sign, mm -hmm. you actually don't notice it. Anything you're willing to experience, you just tend not to notice. Mm -hmm. like, but if you get the sense that, ooh, it's something wrong, something yeah. bad is happening, mm -hmm. then you keep noticing it. So it's... What if you ate more, like, to recover more fully or faster? Would that be bad? I mean, if, if I work out mm -hmm. and I'm more sore than usual and I think, okay, I just need more, I need to recover faster, I need to rest a little bit and eat more. Well, in, in, in that case, probably there is some like use you could put that signal to. Mm -hmm. And so it's good to know and to see how intense is it. And if it seems to be too much, then there's something yeah. you can do. But once you've done it, you don't want to have to keep noticing it. So once you have, you know, the more people have different types of skeletal pain that's chronic, the more they try to make sure it doesn't get, you know, triggered, and the more immobile they become. Yeah. And that immobility just heightens their sensitivity to the pain mm -hmm. and then adds new problems. So usually the best, you know, the best book on chronic pain is uh, called Pain Free by Pete Egescu. Uh, and uh, I highly recommend it. You know, but he's not talking about thalamic gating and these things about how mindfulness affects pain. Uh, but he, so he's simply talking about um, how do you need to keep moving. But it's kind of the same idea. Yeah. See, when you tune in deliberately to, say, lower back pain and you let yourself fully feel it, mindfulness does, in a paradoxic way, relax all the things that you're tuning into. It's like the involuntary contracting of things just lessens as you open up to feel it. Mm -hmm. It's also why mindfulness can cure the hiccups. So that if you just open up to be curious and feel the sensation of the hiccup as fully as you can, then it relaxes your diaphragm and it stops. Mm -hmm. So many things are like that, you know, of headaches are kind of contraction. Uh, so there are many things that are involuntary contractions. Opening up to feel it actually changes it and, and can relieve it. That's why it's psychosomatic. It's not purely psycho, so it's not purely in your head. It's okay. an interaction of the mind and the body that has to do with the thalamus and this kind of gating. I see. So how does this relate to, um, the, like, with anxiety, when you, uh, when the alarm gets sounded, kind of second step, of second function of the amygdala, uh, and then if you're unwilling to feel the anxiety, it continues... But if you're opening up to the anxiety mindfully, it will kind of peak and level off. Yeah, so there's Is two that the things. Same thing? They relate to each other, I think. So it can happen that uh, if a person is anxious of a sensation, mm -hmm. you know, and they have like a phobia of it happening. So say you're going to get blood drawn and you hate the pain of the needle stick. Well, the more you dread it in advance, the more you're actually 
priming your thalamus to notify you completely of the sensation. Okay. So you make it worse by dreading it. The less you dread it, the less you think about it, it just happens and you barely then notice it. So with anxiety, the more you dread it, then the more you are highlighting it for your thalamus to transmit the signal of it I see. at the moment it occurs. Okay. So it also then tends to be all or nothing. People who are really avoidant of anxiety, it's either like they're anxious or they aren't. Mm-hmm. That's one of the first things when you're working with people with anxiety is help them to be curious about the sensation. And the most basic way is to rate it on a scale of zero to 10. So it's no longer just this yes or no, I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. You know, because then everything is treated the same. Here, you then say, okay, this is actually, I'm like a 4 out of 10. I'm a 5 out of 10. And it's not so bad. The more willing people are to feel it, yes, and with anxiety, you're, you're doing a kind of retraining, you know, because you're approaching something you're afraid of. Yeah. And you're also letting your thalamus know that you're not doing anything to fix it. Mm-hmm. So that this is not, I think it all works together. Yeah, interesting. But that people who... Um, have like a chronic pain, or even say grief, they wouldn't feel a surge of anxiety as they open up to feel the sensation, but they would still get the benefits mm-hmm. of this retraining their thalamus. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have both, and it's like, and, and you do get habituation of anxiety and the retraining of the thalamus. Uh, but the retraining of the thalamus is a, in some sense, even higher order than the simply if you have a threat label being right. uh, re-educated. Right. Cool. Well. Kevin, that's our that's our time for this week. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to impart? Just to say, I think that this is the paradox of patience. The more willing you are to suffer, the more willing you are to experience pain, paradoxically, the less you actually do suffer. Nothing makes people more prone to suffer than impatience with suffering. Impatience is simply the unwillingness to suffer. So find ways you know, each day to practice somehow being patient. Mm-hmm. When something is uncomfortable, let yourself feel it and be with it and not try to fix it. Like with a distraction at work, like I want to stop working. Could There could be, be with an urge with to that. get into a distraction. Yeah. Uh, or, or it could be that you're thirsty and you, know, you don't have to fix it right away. Mm-hmm. Let yourself be with it for a bit, mm-hmm. you know, and get used to that. And that's how you grow in the virtue of patience. There's a little discomfort. Let it be for a while. Don't problem solve everything immediately. Yeah. And you end up suffering much less. Okay. So if you want to suffer less, suffer more? Be willing. Be willing to suffer. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. That's key. Cool. Well, thanks so much. We will. Thanks to you, Kevin, as well. Thank you, Sharif. And we will be back next week. Great. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.